Ladies and gentlemen, Elite Heat is back. The SummerSlam build is picking up steam. It's picking up steam. The energy's up tonight. Kevin's drinking, feeling good. He's got his rock show. Cheers, everyone. Kevin, if you're excited for Elite Heat, say yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and now, yeah, you noticed I got the I'm where I'm rocking my rock merchandise. The Project Rock Under Armour stuff. Great workout clothes. You got your Austin 316 shirt on. Uh, I made a video about Stone Cold Steve Austin that's probably going to drop or has dropped by the time you hear this. Um, that may ruffle some feathers, who knows? But uh, I did a lot of research on it. I worked hard. So we didn't plan this either to be rocking Austin Rock merchandise. It just kind of happened, which is great. Well, Kevin, off recording, you told me just about a few of the stories and some of the research you've done into Austin. By the way, anyone who follows Kevin's channel, the amount of research that goes into that, I didn't quite realize just the extent until he told me then. Some of the stories I've genuinely never heard of, like about five of them, Kevin was just rattling them off as far as Stone Cold Steve Austin. This is a Mount Rushmore guy all the time. And some of the dirt on this guy is ridiculous. So by the time you're listening to this, Kevin's probably dropped his video. If you haven't seen it yet, go check it out. It's nuts. Just oh, insane. yeah. And I'm going to check the Spotify number, see if we hit our goal, checking this live while we're recording. Let's see. Have we hit, have we hit 15? Last week we had 13. Uh, we're still oh. at 13. Uh, oh. Still at 13. You just need two. Two of you beautiful listeners. Just two. <laughs> Give us a, a five-star review if you can um, on Spotify. The uh, episode will be linked on the description of this on the YouTube version. So, yeah. We can't thank you guys enough, though. The Spotify platforms are still going crazy. That Our average listener base is going up every single week. Uh, we love to see it. So, yeah. Well, Kevin, we're, we're just being consistent, you know. Uh, we've done every week since about the second week of January. So basically the whole year we've been with you guys, with you listeners, in your ears for about an hour or more in WrestleMania season. We had some like three-hour episodes. We're in your ears every week. And, um, yeah, we've got the rest of the year near enough all planned. We've got ideas coming, plenty of good stuff to listen, to, listen out for. So, Kevin, it's great stuff. Unless anything you want to get off your chest now, before, I just want to get right into it, pal. We did a discussion last week on LA Night. And Kevin, I'll throw it to you because you've got some other numbers or just general stuff on the guy. He's a hit right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, undeniably, the numbers speak for themselves. The crowd reactions speak for themselves. LA Night is popping off. And I assume you've got more for us here. Yeah, and you're talking about LA Night. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, according to Wrestle Features. Uh, the lovely Twitter account, Russell Features, tweeted that LA Knight has the top-selling shirt on WWEshop.com. And he doesn't just have the top-selling shirt. He has three, three of the top four-selling t-shirts right now on WWEshop.com. That's pretty impressive, considering the quality of his shirts and the quantity of them. It, he's not like Stone Cold or DX or John Cena. He doesn't have a million shirts to choose from. You know, he's got a few. And it's incredible. Incredible numbers. We talked about his YouTube numbers last week. What more is there to say about the guy? He's on an upward trajectory. Well, Kevin, I'll say this. I watched a video by Wrestleology, which, shout out, a really good channel. that got about 10K subs. I, you know, you watch my videos I've seen. I don't know if you want to listen to the podcast. But it made a video about you know, why LA Knight's the next megastar, which that word is... I feel like the word megastar can be a bit overused. To me, megastar is like a transcendent, decade, generation-defining star. Really, probably Roman Reigns is one, Cena, 
going before that, it's Yost and Rocks, those sort of guys. But I saw I watched this video and it was more so just an LA Knight career, sort of what he's done so far type deal. And it got me thinking, Kevin, as far as our discussion last week, going forward, can LA Knight prove us wrong? I mean, these numbers are just unbelievable. The fact that, yeah, his shirts, they're not bloodline shirts. They're not like the most incredible, like awesome designs. I'll say that. And they're selling like hotcakes. They're flying off shelves. WWEshop.com are busy wrapping orders in their warehouse, sending them off to all regions of the US and the world because LA Knight's that popular. Uh, I just, I'll, I'll ask you, I mean, do you think LA Knight can maybe either prove us wrong? I mean, I know myself at least, I was a bit sort of, eh, mid-card guy, he's got a ceiling, eh, don't say it last week. But do you think there's a, a chance just to how popular he is that he could maybe break through as a main event guy? Well, if he was like 27... I would say, yeah, LA Knight could definitely be a megastar. Like, as far as, like, a guy that's going to carry the company for five-plus years, uh, be the top guy, main event pay-per-views in every part of the world, main event house shows everywhere. I I don't think he's that guy simply because of his age. Now, I don't see why LA Knight could not have, like, a two-, three-year run on top like AJ Styles had at at his advanced age. But like we talked about last week, LA Knight, I don't think he has the in-ring skills to be that guy. But what he does have is charisma and bunches. Uh, he's an excellent mic worker. If I were him, me personally, I would try to become a manager. Like in the near future. Why not? You know? Like like Paul Heyman is still eating off of being a manager. Paul Heyman's been Brock Lesnar's manager for 20 plus years. Or, well, now he's aligned with Roman Reigns. But that's what Paul Heyman's known for now. On top of the ECW stuff. But, you know, he's known for being a manager. Like, why not try to transition into that role at his, at his advanced age. like Or he could be a commentator. Uh, he could do a ton of different things in, in the business right now. Um, but I mean, the numbers are impressive. You can't deny them. There's no way to deny them. You know, And I, I want to say this, too, because we, we talked about this last week, and we had uh, Art mention in the comments that LA Knight reminded him of Zack Ryder in 2011. I think it's a little bit different in a way, but it's similar because, yeah, LA Knight kind of got himself over but I, I think this is more intentional by WWE. Like, if you listen to the verbiage that LA Knight used in his promo from last week, talking about how he generates clicks, he generates views, WWE knows that they have something in LA Knight by that verbiage alone. Zack Ryder, WWE did not want him to be a star, clearly. What I mean is that, that Triple H and WWE, they know that LA Knight is big. They see the numbers, they see the merchandise, they know that people want him to make it. But they can't just give it to you right away. Because then you're just going to, because then you're not going to care, you know? You know, they want to slow build and slow build. It wouldn't surprise me if he gets screwed over by somebody or something and he doesn't win the U.S. title and they try to drag it out for a few months and then he eventually wins the U.S. title and then he makes that championship way more relevant in one night than Austin Theory has in almost a year or however long he's held it. I can't tell you who he's faced, when the last time he wrestled. I don't know. I can't tell you anything about Austin Theory. But I will tell you this. If LA Knight is U.S. champion, I'll pay attention to it. No, 100%. I agree. I think with that, what they're doing, it's like a delayed gratification sort of thing. Because, yes, WWE could just see this and go, yeah, bang, pull the trigger. LA Knight, shooting up to the main event, have him wrestle Ryan at a pay-per-view, have him win the U.S. title on SmackDown next week. They could do that. And I really do think three years ago, that's what they would do. They'd just say, yep, here you go. And they give it to the fans. And then all of a sudden, within two months, Kevin, LA Knight's just, oh, yeah, 
I mean, we, we, yeah, we liked him for a while. And who's next? As you were describing last week, who's next? W- whatever. Who can we cheer for now? But it's like a delayed sort of thing. And I think the LA Knight, that works. I had real reservations because they're, they're, try- they're trying to do a similar thing with Cody Rhodes. We saw this at WrestleMania. They didn't pull the trigger. They didn't want to execute a WrestleMania and go all the way with Cody. And they wanted to just keep it going, keep it going because, you know, that's what creates cash. And in the case of LA Knight, Kevin, him saying, you know, other management's screwing me or I get the clicks, I should be, you know, pushed up the card. That, that, that draws, that works. The large portion of the audience gets behind that and he's got charisma and can engage the fans who aren't just the, the internet ones on Twitter. So he has the full kind of package there. I think LA Knight, him winning the US title wouldn't be, you know, going all the way, so to speak. He'd be a great US champion. He'd be the perfect US champion. He'd be taking on all comers. He'd take on the world. As you say, Theory, what's he done? Besides the Cena match that was a complete botch. That match was a botch at WrestleMania. So who knows, Kevin? And yeah, as you allude to, uh, th- that comparison to Zack Ryder, I thought it was better than the one I made. I referenced Fandango in 2013. So the Zack Ryder comparison, definitely a lot better. Uh, but yeah, it- it's similar with this LA Knight thing. I think LA Knight's just better than Matt Cardona is. Matt yeah. Cardona is just ugh, perennial lower undercard guy who loses matches. He's a perennial enhancement talent. Matt Cardona, LA Knight, there's more to him, but like you mentioned, Kevin, his age, he's a bit older, but he's getting better reactions. So the way to be saying, it's good watch this space, I will say, Kevin. I go into SmackDown each week now, wanting to see what they do with Reigns and the Bloodline, Jey Uso, and wanting to see what they do in the middle of the show with LA Knight. So that's a big deal. I think that's a big thing. So yeah, there you go. There it is. Yeah, so what I want to say about this, before we move on, you mentioned the fans on Twitter. You know, you mentioned that uh, and a lot of times, like, we've seen with these guys that are, like, the flavor of the month. We've seen it with Kevin Owens, Finn Balor, uh, you know, Samoa Joe, to an extent. But mostly those two guys and Daniel Bryan are the three biggest examples of guys that people on the internet wanted to see. And LA Knight is more like a Seth Rollins, where Seth Rollins is in that category where, like, okay, the internet wants to see Seth Rollins on top. The internet thinks Seth Rollins is the best. But the casual fans are interested in Seth Rollins, too. And that's the thing with LA Knight. LA Knight has everybody captivated. I'm not saying that LA Knight's, like, in the ring as good as Rollins or a big star or anything like that. But LA Knight has the casual fans interested. In a way that Brian Owens and Finn Balor, and I guess Nakamura, too, a guy like that, they just didn't have that casual fan interest. So that's what makes this a little bit different. Could he be that flavor of the month guy? And he's selling this much merchandise? Like, are people just going to forget tomorrow if LA Knight becomes WWE champion or universal champion or world champion, whatever you want to make him? I don't know. But it's I think we got to see the success sustained for a little bit longer than what it is right now. Like, right now, it's the cool thing to do. Cheer for LA Knight. Oh, I'm going to go on the internet, buy an LA Knight shirt. Yeah, got to have LA Knight t-shirts. It's cool right now. It's trendy. But in three, four, five, six, seven, eight months, is LA Knight still going to be doing Roman numbers from the merch stand? I don't know. And one more thing on that. WWE's got enough going on from a main event standpoint to where, Kevin, unlike 2014, unlike 2016 with Bauer, unlike 2019, these years where the main event's pretty weak in WWE and then any guy in the mid card who gets sort of over, gets some reaction immediately pretty much gets thrust up because there's no one really else. The main event's pretty solid at the moment. 
on SmackDown, Roman Reigns and Jay Uso, they're doing this rules of engagement segment as we speak. They're doing this big bloodline storyline, which is now going on about three years. They're still doing 40 minute segments everyone's gripped by. And there's all this storytelling involved in that. You look at across the board, Brock Lesnar and Cody having this trilogy, the stuff on Raw with the Judgment Day and Seth Rollins. Pretty good on the whole. Um, I do have my sort of doubts and questions about Seth Rollins, a guy who's failed as a main eventer in 2019, failed in 2015. A guy like that still being the, the face. I still have my questions, but that's just me. But the point being, Kevin, the Judgment Day Rollins as a main event on Raw there. So the point being here, the main event across the board is quite good. LA Knight still putting the, the cloche on him as a mid-carder for now. Those reactions, just sustainability, as you say. Maybe in three months, six months, come WrestleMania season next year, if the fans are still buying his merch like crazy, they're still going off for him, then you can go, okay, this guy really does have something. It's been going on for like nine months now. This is a legit thing. Let's see what we can do for the guy at WrestleMania because this year he had like no spot at WrestleMania, but ways to be seen, pal. There you go. I mean, he was sitting in the crowd next to fans. So no, that was in Saudi Arabia, right? <laughs> so, yeah. All right, pal. I have a question for you, Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. This is like our wrestling throwback question of the week. Mm-hmm. You're a big PG era guy, right? Yep. Once sure. in a lifetime is, you know, your mecca of sports entertainment. That, that's what you hold on to as, as yep. the biggest moment from your childhood fandom in terms of wrestling. Yes. Did John Cena make fun of The Rock for appearing in Tooth Fairy? He did. Can you walk us through how that segment went? Do you remember what, what Cena said? Yeah, essentially it was along the lines of Cena saying The Rock turned his back on the WWE fans for Hollywood and he's off being the Tooth Fairy instead of the Great One in the WWE. That's essentially what Cena made fun of The Rock for, roasted him, and everyone loved it. Uh, that, you were ready for this piece of trivia. So now with mm-hmm. that in mind, I saw Barbie last night. Yeah, you know, the, with the Ryan Gosling, Margot Robbie, you know, got some stars in there, Will Ferrell's in there. And you know who made an appearance in Barbie? It couldn't be Cena, surely. Yeah, one John Felix Anthony Cena Jr. made an appearance in Barbie. And he was a mermaid with a blonde wig on. John Cena played a mermaid. So I, I'll paint the picture for you guys just for a moment. Uh, this could be a potential spoiler alert. I'll just say this. Well, at one point in the movie, roles reversed. And men started playing the role of women in the Barbie world. So there were women playing the role of mermaids prior. When roles reversed, boom, John Cena is now a mermaid. So, yeah. So, what do you have to say about that, pal? Kevin, as you say, that that was a guy who, growing up, he was involved in, for me, it was the mega, it was the biggest thing ever, once in a lifetime, versus The Rock. Cena was the face of WWE, the face of wrestling for a decade. Cena is a Mount Rushmore-level wrestler guy all-time in WWE. And to think that in 2023, Kevin, after a near 20-year career, two decades, where the bulk majority, Kevin, was Cena flying the WWE flag, being the guy... To think that now in 2023, Cena is cross-dressing as a mermaid. Okay, sure. 
the, the, the world will keep turning. It's not some end of the world, huge thing. It's not, not bad, like a bad thing. It's just sort of odd, isn't it? You know, this is John Cena. This is the guy who, as we're about to discuss in a few minutes, would single-handedly bury the Nexus at 2010 SummerSlam. Like, this is this is John F. and Cena. This is the guy who everyone just, half the audience, the adult male audience, absolutely crapped on for years, saying he's killing wrestling single-handedly for winning all these matches. And he was a superhero for a bunch of children. Now, Kevin, it's 2023. Cena's rockin' mermaid gear, guys. Women dressing as men. I'm a mermaid now. John Cena, Sination. Like, okay, cool. Cool, whatever works. I guess Dwayne was the tooth fairy that got made fun of. Now seen as a cross-dressing mermaid. Sure. Cool. Yeah, isn't it funny how history tends to repeat itself? Or, like, the I don't know if hypocrisy is the word, but... Cena, 11 years ago. Cena goes on Raw. He cuts this scathing promo about Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And talking about how he was the tooth fairy. We got a tooth fairy chant going. <laughs> You know, Cena, then Cena was doing, like, radio shows, doing podcasts, doing interviews, talking about, I will never be like The Rock. I will never leave WWE for Hollywood. I will never go to Hollywood full-time. Eleven years later, John Cena's wrestled, what, two matches in a five-year span, as of this recording. And now he's in Hollywood playing a mermaid. In a Barbie Kevin, movie. Kevin, what you're saying is... If history is going to repeat itself again in nine years' time, once we're in this big grand podcast studio in Florida where we've got a live studio audience, we're going to be reacting to Roman Reigns dressing in drag in his latest Hollywood movie. Is that what, is that what you're telling us? Yes. And then we're going to have a legitimate shoot fight for our YouTube audience. Yeah. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll try and drop kick you off security, dragging you off the stage. <laughs> we'll, be on, we'll be on CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. Like, it'll be this big deal. Podcast explodes live. <laughs> but no, that's that's fantastic, isn't it? So, yeah, Cena's now dressed as a mermaid. The Rock's been the tooth fairy, among other things. He's been in the, the Hollywood universe. And God knows when, when Roman transitions off to Hollywood in a couple of years' time. Who knows what Giant Hawaii will be. But Giant Hawaii will be, you know, <laughs> dressed in... God knows what. I don't even know what the flavor of the month will be in six, seven years, but... Waste of you saying, Kevin. I just love, I love this as a bit. This is the most elite hate bit. Fantastic stuff, Al. Yeah, it was great. Uh, just a, a quick movie review on Barbie for those who are going to be asking in the comments. Not a bad movie. I, I kind of liked it. You know, I thought it was pretty good. I I'll let you guys fill in the dots about why I was seeing a Barbie movie. I'm not going to go into those details. I'm sure you, you can imagine uh, why I would be seeing a Barbie movie. Um, but, yeah. So I thought it was better than I expected. I did fall asleep at one point. Oh. Uh, hey, but the person I was with was happy, so that's all that matters. Well, so, okay, so Kevin's falling asleep. Now, on that note, Kevin, speaking of falling asleep, I think we'll transition into the, the 2010 SummerSlam. Uh, unless yeah. there's anything else you want to... What a transition. Wanna... No, go yeah. ahead, please. Okay, Kevin. Now, what we're going to do for this, we're going to, for starters, go through each one just in order, just briefly. We're not going to do... 45-minute in-depth reviews of what moves Sheamus hit on Randy Orton in their 2010 title match. We're not going to that depth. We're just going to go through year by year what they're remembered for, give our like funny, brief, blunt description of each one, because that's what we're good at, Kevin, really good, blunt descriptions. And then we'll move into some more so some questions about the decade. So, hold, Kevin, on. hold on, hold on. So you're you? telling me right now mm -hmm. to my face, and you're telling our great listeners in their ears, in their speakers, on their phones – 
You're telling yes. them that you're not going to be reviewing the classic match that took place at SummerSlam 2010 featuring Melina and Alicia Fox. We're not going to go move for move, dissect the anatomy of that match for our viewers' pleasure? Kevin, that match is the drizzling you-know-whats. We're not going to analyze that critically, Kevin. Unless you want to, Kevin. Unless you're sitting there during Barbie going, damn. I really I just want to watch what was that match again? It was a Melina against Lila. Who was it? Alicia Fox versus Melina for the Divas Championship. Oh, you, you Kevin's like, damn! I, I wish I was at home right now on Peacock watching the Butterfly title on the line. Michelle McCool, <laughs> Caitlin, Layla. Wait, so it was Alicia Fox and who? Melina. Whatever. Don't care. There you go. All right, pal. <laughs> so yeah, with that being said, now. Yep. SummerSlam 2010, right? We're talking about, this is a, an in-depth analysis of the SummerSlams of the 2010s decade. So that's 2010 through 2019. Majority of these SummerSlams took place in LA in the Barclays Center, or in Brooklyn in the Barclays Center. Um, I'm sure neither one of those cities want WWE back anytime soon after making them suffer. And the citizens of those cities suffer through some just unbearable SummerSlams. And SummerSlam 2010... They started the decade off with just a SummerSlam that was absolutely just complete garbage. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> this SummerSlam, it was, first of all, it was six matches long. How long <laughs> was this show? Was it like three hours long? Like, how long was this show? It was the six main, matches. The main, event, the main event took an hour to get Cena out there to bury everyone. It took an hour. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can, I, can I just read through the card real quick? Rapid fire. Go for it. Singles Go. match for the WWE Intercontinental Championship. That opens the show. So we get a nice IC title match, you know? Maybe maybe not Sean Razor-like, you know? But we get Dolph Ziggler with Vicky Guerrero versus Kofi Kingston. And for those of you who don't remember, this is Dolph Ziggler out here with Eddie Guerrero's widow. God knows why. This is like the era of Dolph Ziggler. He's like, hey, I'm Dolph Ziggler. He's shaking everybody's hand. You know, that era. And Kofi Kingston, when he was still doing the Jamaican accent. And then, yeah, we got the aforementioned Melina versus Alicia Fox Matt Classic for the Divas <laughs> Championship. Then we get a handicap match. This is Big Show versus CM Punk, Joey Mercury, and Luke Gallows. CM Punk is facing the Big Show in a one-on-three handicap match in the middle of a, a trash, garbage SummerSlam <laughs> show. This is the guy that would go on to change wrestling forever in like seven and a half months. Then we had Randy Orton versus Sheamus in a last chance match. Listen to the description for this match. The description of the stipulation for this match. Last chance match for the WWE Championship. If anyone interfered in the match, they would be suspended indefinitely. Had Randy Orton lost, he would never get another shot at the title as long as Sheamus was champion. Are you kidding me? This is what Tony Chimmel's getting paid to read as he's announcing the, the match? That's a mouthful. But what kind of stipulation is that? Then we had Kane versus Rey Mysterio in a match that I don't think anybody knows happened. If you remember this match, put it in the comments. If you're listening to this right now and you remember Kane versus Big Show from SummerSlam 2010, I would love, 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 love to hear you, uh, your recollection of that match. So we got the mayor versus a, a lucha legend in a 13-minute match. Like, that was the co-main event of the SummerSlam. Oh, my God. And then, yeah, the aforementioned 7-on-7 Nexus match. John Cena using his creative juice backstage. 
You got a, like a, a 75-year-old Bret Hart out there that had two strokes. You know, he's lost like half his family, his best friends. Like he's just, he's, he's, he's down bad, you know? You got Edge out there who's like eight months away from breaking his neck. Oh, my you God. got the face of AEW and Chris Jericho out there. You got Johnny Flip Flip, Johnny Drip, whatever the hell his name is, Johnny Drip Drip, Johnny Mundo, Johnny AEW, Johnny Impact, Johnny WWE, <laughs> Johnny Luchador, whatever the hell he, he wants to call himself today. And then you have Brian Danielson, the guy who everybody thinks is the undisputed greatest wrestler <laughs> to ever live out there, marching down to the ring. To bury a laundry list of talent, pal. This is the town that everybody freaks out about. These are the people that 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 everybody's mad that John Cena buried, right? You're mad. I know you're still mad about this. A lot of people from this era are still mad about this. This is the guys, the future stars, the top talent that John Cena used his creative forces to bury. John Cena went into a creative meeting with Vincent Kennedy McMahon behind closed doors, just the two of them. Used his creative power to bury these guys. Are you ready? Yep. Michael Tarver. Who? Michael Tarver. Skip Sheffield. <laughs> Darren Young. Heath Slater. <laughs> Justin Gabriel. You know what Justin Gabriel's most famous for? You want to know? An appearance on Total Divas. Where he, <laughs> he went to a club with JoJo. Remember JoJo? Bray Wyatt's yep. side, side chick, now wife? Justin Gabriel went to a club with JoJo as a date. And then left with another girl. And she cried. And that was uh, an entire episode of a WWE reality show. It was built around Justin Gabriel leaving JoJo for another girl and getting in a cab with her. That's what Justin Gabriel's known for. That's the talent that John Cena buried. Forgive me. Forgive me, Justin Gabriel. You're, you're this great talent. Everybody's so mad about this Nexus thing. All right. I digress. Now, David Otunga. What is David Otunga best known for? Being the husband of a famous singer. And then Wade Barrett. That those are the seven guys that John Cena went into a, a creative meeting behind closed doors with Vince McMahon one-on-one -on -one and told him, I am not doing a job for these guys. Good for him. Let's give it up for John Cena. Good for him. Thank you for using your creative control. Could you imagine if Michael Tarver had beat John Cena in a pay-per-view match of the second biggest pay-per-view of the year in 2010? Imagine Michael Tarver pinning John Cena on pay-per-view. This is before the network. This is before Peacock. This is when people had to pay $60 to watch SummerSlam. <laughs> uh, imagine me. I tell my dad, hey, I want to watch Michael Tarver beat John Cena. Dad, pay $60 so I can watch Michael Tarver defeat John Cena on SummerSlam. Get out of here with this Nexus thing, bro. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear any, anyone arguing that John Cena buried these guys. You want to see Michael Tarver beat John Cena? Come on. Okay. All right. All right. I'm done. Go ahead. Oh, that was one of the great Elite Heat brands, that. Wow. That was like five minutes long. Oh, my God. Wow. Um, look, I'll, I'll say this before we transition. I don't, I don't know how to follow that. Um, when, you, when you break it down like that, Kevin, uh, the Nexus look like a bunch of bums. When you analyze it like that, uh, David Otunga, you mentioned he's most famous for being a husband. To me, he's most famous for taking Seamus to broke kick for him as well. So... Yeah, um, and yeah, I, I, I can't follow that. I genuinely, I cannot follow that. I, I can't, there's nothing I can say. There is nothing I can say about SummerSlam 2010. And the cherry on top of that, what you just said, the fact that this was, wasn't even in the network area, you had to pay 50 bucks 
to watch Michael Tarvis, Skip Sheffield, Darren Young, David Otunga, Heath Slater, Justin Gabriel, and Wade Barrett take on this legendary team of John Cena in his prime, Edge, Jericho, Brian when he looked like an enhancement talent, R-Truth, Jomo, and Brad Hart after two strokes. I, I, just, <laughs> I don't know, Kevin. And for those I, of you who don't know, know, Skip Sheffield is Ryback. For those who don't remember that gimmick. Yeah, but as, as Ryback himself said, we, we shouldn't refer to him by his slave name, Ryback. We're not going to call him that. Uh, but nonetheless, Kevin, my God, my God. Uh, one more thing I will say. This was 2010. So this is the era of this is the anonymous Raw general manager. This is heel Michael Cole. This is WWE trying to push the Miz. This is Cena just winning every match. This is a weird time for WWE. Like Shawn Michaels has retired a few months earlier. Triple H is part-time now. Undertaker wrestles once a year at this point. Batista's quit three months prior. This is a weird time. This is literally just Fruity Pebble Cena in his orange armband and jean shorts coming out. I beat Darren Young's the nation. I ain't him through the ring. This is a weird time for WWE. So that being said, Kevin, some say 2010. Yeah, the legacy of this show, Kevin, I think we'll, I, I can pass back to you in a moment for your whatever description you want to have for the legacy of this show. But to me, this was the Nexus SummerSlam. This was the... I would call burial of the Nexus, but after what you've just described, I don't think I can call it burial anymore. That was a, a deserved shoveling. Uh, and yeah, forgettable, forgettable, forgettable show. Yeah, I just, I'll ask the people again that use this argument against John Cena about him burying the Nexus. Did you want to see Michael Tarver pin John Cena? Did you want to pay $60 for that? I mean, if you pay $60 for this show, I don't know what to tell you anyway. But yeah, this show is going to be known for the Nexus thing. That's all that it's ever going to be known for. Um, now, let's move on. SummerSlam 2011. This is yes. your era. Mm -hmm. Take it over. So, Kevin, one more thing I will say in 2010. If you pay $60 for that, you need psychiatric help. That's all I'll say. That's $60 you will never get back. I'll run down 2011 a bit differently to how you did 2010. Um, I'm just going to be a bit, a bit more calm with this. Uh, I will say 2011, two really good matches on this show. Uh, this was a much better event than 2010. 2010, as Kevin so beautifully described there, especially when you look back at it like that, it was a, a pile of festering, you know what? 2011, Punk vs. Cena in a main event, WWE Undisputed title match, Triple H is the referee. So at least there's like a 25-minute pretty good main event. Was this the best match Punk and Cena had? No. Was it still pretty good? Yes. It was entertaining. I enjoy it. A decent follow-up to their first match for Money in the Bank. So, enjoyable main event. Then the other big match you talk about is Orton versus Christian. No holds barred for the World Heavyweight title. This got time. This got 25 minutes. This is the best match in there. I think they had four pay-per-view matches in a row. This was the best one. This was really fun. Uh, Christian, this is outside of his work with Edge, like 10 years prior in the tag team. This is his best stuff in WWE, just ever. This is awesome. Uh, Randy Orton, this is some of his best stuff. Because, Kevin, as you know, and as we'll get to in coming SummerSlams, Randy Orton did have some years where he either wasn't trying or what he was involved in was other cringe, such as the infamous this, which we'll get to. So this 2011 match, 25-minute, no holds barred, big gold belt match with Christian, enjoyable. So you've got two really entertaining world title main events. The rest of this show, <clears throat> quite literally, I'm looking at this card now, this looks like a filler episode of SmackDown. Mark Henry beat Sheamus by countout. 
Kofi Kingston, John Morrison, and Rey Mysterio defeated Miz, Truth, and Del Rio in a six-man tag. Kelly Kelly defeated the Glamazon, Adam Copeland's wife, Beth Phoenix, with Natalia in a seven-minute Divas Championship match. And Wade Barrett beat Daniel Bryan in a 12-minute singles match. So basically, it's a SmackDown, a filler 2011 SmackDown with two pretty good main events. And Kevin, to top it off, Alberto Del Rio, everyone's favorite criminal, cashed in on CM Punk. So there you go, pal. There you go. What a, what a way to end a legendary SummerSlam. Kevin Nash is out there. Alberto El Patron's out there slap-kicking Phil Brooks and winning the title. Interesting. Interesting show. Not as bad as 2010, but better. Yeah, there you have it. Yeah, this was interesting. Um, Alberto Del Rio cashing in on Punk. Put a damper, I'm sure, on everybody's night. Um, kind of, like, killed the summer of Punk, if you will. Uh-huh. This was CM Punk at his absolute hottest. And they're just like, Vince, like, oh, damn it, Del Rio, get out there. And Del Rio goes out there, cashes in on Punk, and then Punk wins the belt like three months later, and then is champion for like two and a half years or whatever it was, a year and a half, however long it ended up being. Uh, so yeah, this is really, for me, the legacy of this show is Randy Orton versus Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're excellent series of matches. And for time's sake, just going to go on to the next one. Yeah, just move on. SummerSlam 2013. I, I 12, think... 2012. Sorry. I completely. I just wanted to forget. How dare you forget this, Kevin? This is the perfect. I just wanted to forget this. Twenty-fifth anniversary, Kevin. The the chief content officer of WWE, Paul Levesque, the man who copyright strikes your videos and my videos at three AM when he's in bed with his wife and his three kids are sleeping. Paul Levesque, main event <laughs> of this show with hair against Brock Lesnar. This is four months into Brock's return. This is Kevin, a big time main event. Kevin in the all time echelon ranks of WWE pay-per-view main events, where does the perfect storm rank for you, pal? I don't think it cracks the top 100. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it does. Um, I'll, I'll run through the card real quick. Jericho versus Ziggler. This is the infamous, uh, you know, you got Jericho in looking looking at himself in the mirror with the Ziggler shirt on and the build-up. Um, Brian versus Kane, beginning of the Yes movement. Uh, Miz versus yeah. Mysterio was there. Yeah. Uh, Sheamus versus Del Rio. This is all the burritos in cars and... That good stuff. Um, Kofi and R Truth versus the primetime players. Uh, you know, an excellent match in the mid- in the upper middle of the card. And then Punk versus Big Show versus Cena for the world yeah. the WWE Championship. Yeah. And then yeah, the Perfect Storm, Brock versus Triple H. So that card, in a nutshell, maybe yeah. not the best SummerSlam card. I'd probably say this is like in the bottom, like seven. Like it's like number seven, maybe number eight. It's not the absolute worst on, on of the SummerSlams that we're gonna talk about, but. Not really much to say about this one, honestly. Yeah, not much to write home about. Rey Mysterio dressing up as Batman or having like Batman-themed gear was one of the highlights. CM Punk's ring gear was really cool as well, like the, the pink Bret yeah. Hart sort of style. Uh, but when we're really when we're saying the highlights, the 25th anniversary of SummerSlam is CM Punk's in pink ring gear and Rey Mysterio dressing as Batman. That's not saying a lot. So, Kevin, we'll move on to an actual good SummerSlam now. You can lead us off with this. 2013. Yeah, this is in the upper echelon of the SummerSlams of the 2010s decade. It's the top three SummerSlam, in my opinion, of this decade. Uh, you know, the uh, the upper, or I'm sorry, the undercard and the middle of the card, not great. You know, this show was really carried by the two big matches that it was built around, and that's Brock Lesnar versus CM Punk and Daniel Bryan versus John Cena. The uh, the build up for both matches. I don't. I wouldn't say lackluster, but WWE was clearly relying on the star power and just the hype of the actual matches happening. Literally, the build-up for Cena versus Bryan was like all the wrestlers came out on the stage 
and Cena was in the middle of the ring holding the championship, and he was just like, I'm going to wrestle one of you guys, Sination. Who's going to be the one that's going to step up and take my challenge? And then he just calls out Daniel Bryan, and Daniel Bryan, like, marches through this crowd of wrestlers doing the yes chant, gets to Cena's face, and that was the build. Uh, you know, the build for Brock and Punk was just like, Paul Heyman crying about CM Punk saying something to him backstage in 2012 that upset him, and yeah. Punk never apologized, and like, it was what it was, but damn, when those two matches got in the ring, these are two of the best matches you'll ever see at SummerSlam. Just go back and watch it. Uh, we talked a lot, um, we talked a lot about them last week, so, you know, we, in their Mr. SummerSlam conversation, we didn't talk about the Cena-Brian match. So I think we should spend more time talking about that than Brock and Punk. We've talked about that match a ton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Saint O'Brien was a really well-done match. And I think the big thing with this show was the ending. Well, this was a shocking ending to this show. Because at the time, yeah, Daniel Bryan's getting the chance to wrestle Cena. Cena, as we've discussed in previous late dates, had the massive burst of lump on his elbow, as we've discussed. And they have their match. Awesome match. Brian wins. It's like the big, oh my god, like Brian won. Like, what the hell? I mean, you've got, once again, Triple H as the guest referee for the, the second time in these four SummerSlams we've discussed so far. And then Randy Orton comes out and they do the big shocking authority heel turn. At the time, it's like, oh my God. Like the show ends, Randy Orton's holding the title. Triple H is in the referee shirt. Brian's dead on the ground. Cena's just out of the picture. It was a big like OMG ending. This is one of the best SummerSlam endings, if not the best of the decade. This is a great ending to the show. Uh, and beyond that, Kevin... I thought the undercard was quite good. Like, you look at it match by match, it was quite good. The White family, Bray Wyatt, especially, like, three months into WWE, into his run, they wrestled playing in a ring of fire match and carrying him away. I thought that was pretty cool. Cody and Sandow, that feud had a bit of heat going. They were doing a good babyface heel dynamic with those two. Del Rio and Christian was a good World Heavyweight Championship match. Once again, it wasn't Christian Orton. It wasn't as good as their 2011 match, but Del Rio Christian, good undercard, big gold belt match. And then Kevin, who can forget the infamous Total Divas match? Natalia with Cameron and Naomi defeated Brie Bella with Nikki and Eva Marie. Who can forget that, Kevin? That match, that was a match Randy Savage was rolling in his grave watching. That was a great bout. That was, that's what, Kevin, Savage and Steamboat went to war at WrestleMania 3 for that, pal. So there you go, Kevin. SummerSlam 2013, best SummerSlam of the decade. I'm not even debating it. Awesome show. Great stuff. Uh, yeah, I want to say this about Cena versus Brian real quick. This is one of the greatest main events in SummerSlam history. It's in the discussion for top five. I'm sure it is top five, but the discussion to be the best SummerSlam main event. This was an awesome match. That really, it it really doesn't get mentioned when you talk about like both guys' catalog. Talk about like Cena's greatest matches. People will talk, you know, his match versus Sean or his match versus AJ or Punk. Nobody really mentions this. The same with Brian. You know, you mentioned, like, when it comes to Brian, you mentioned his match with Triple H or the Triple Threat match or the match you have with MJF at, at Revolution. But this is one of the best at either guy's career, really, in my opinion. This was Cena, yeah, with, with the, uh, the the elbow size of a baseball, you know, uh, Daniel Bryan in his peak. This is prime, absolute peak of his powers, Daniel Bryan. This is the yes movement, the big beard. And Cena showed that he could keep up with Bryan. This, you know, Brian's one of the best technical wrestlers ever. The match was damn good. The SummerSlam was damn good. And yeah, I'm ready. Let's talk about SummerSlam 2014. Yes, Kevin, this show, we've discussed 
in pretty good detail last week about Brock and Cena and how significant that was for really as far as the 21st century, one of the most significant matches. This was the definitive end of the reign of Super Cena, a nine-year run of Cena looking near enough immortal most of the time, looking like Superman. Brock in one night just derailed it all with this legendary, iconic match. This match, as you brilliantly put last week, is similar to the streak match where the streak broke in the sense of you remember where you were watching this. This was just like an oh my god match. You couldn't believe what you were watching. Just seeing Cena, a guy who'd been so impervious to struggle for nine, ten years, getting manhandled like he was, you know, Brock Lesnar going to a, a seventh grade playground and throwing kids around. That's what this looked like. This was a one-sided demolition, and just a, this was a five-star match in my opinion. You can't you can't look away at any stage of the match. So that was awesome. The rest of this show, Kevin. I'll, I'll be honest here. When I look at the rest of this event. All I remember from the rest of this event was Stephanie McMahon's ring gear, a boring 20-minute Orton versus Roman Reigns match where Roman Reigns, no one really cared at that stage. He was just sort of the guy left out from when the Shield broke up. And then Rollins and Ambrose was, you know, entertaining enough. It was, it was fine. It was good. So that's what I remember. Uh, what was your recollection of this? So you remember Stephanie McMahon dressing like Triple H's ex-girlfriend? Move on. Move that's on. what's... Move uh, on. Wow, Move interesting. On. Yeah, I do remember that, though. Everybody was freaking out, like, oh my god, she's dressing like China. And it was like, wow, that's weird. Um, mm. But nevertheless, I digress. Moving on. Uh, Cena versus Lesnar. We talked about it at nauseum last week. Mm. Phenomenal match. I mean, come on, are you kidding me? Like, I remember I remember watching it, like, going into SummerSlam. I was like, okay, Brock will win. You know, they're not going to have Brock lose, of course. He just beat the streak. Like, he's obviously going to win the title here. You know, but it'll be a close match. Like, he'll probably hit him with, like, four, five, six F5s. Or maybe, like, we'll get a, you know, who knows what kind of comedian will come out of the front row, help Brock Lesnar yeah. win. Like, something would happen, you know. So I, I wasn't expecting this, let alone I wasn't expecting Brock to win, like, super clean or with ease. But just watching Brock just dominate Cena, it was like, whoa. Like, is this really happening? Yeah. But, yeah. but I thought this was fun. Like, this show was fun. Like, not a great show. But it was fun. You know, Rollins and Ambrose is a highlight on the undercard. And overall, it's a middle-of-the-pack SummerSlam for me. Maybe like sixth best, fifth, fifth best, something like that. You know, we can talk about that at the end. Now, here we go. Yeah, we, can move on. we can move on, pal. I want to kick this yes. to you. Lead us off. This is 2015. This is one of the better ones, so talk yes. to us. Here we go. SummerSlam 2015. I love this SummerSlam. I really do. And I don't know why. Like, look at, you look at the card, you know? I don't quite know why I love this SummerSlam so much. <laughs> you know? I just have fond memories thinking about this. The opening match, yeah. Sheamus versus Randy Orton was what it was. Uh, Randy Orton's not trying. Randy Orton's just in there with Vince and creative, like, okay, Vince, want me to go out there have a 15-minute match with Sheamus? Sure, why not? Yeah. Um, but I did enjoy the Ambrose and Roman match uh, versus the Wyatt family versus Bray Wyatt and Luke Harper. That was very good. Uh, of course... Seth Rollins versus Cena, all-time classic. We spoke about that. Uh, Kevin Owens versus Zara was fun. And then, yeah, you had the main event match, which was really fun. Undertaker versus Brock Lesnar. It's a, a straight-up match, a return match from WrestleMania 30. This match was a lot better in-ring quality than the match at WrestleMania 30. Undertaker managed to avoid getting concussed. Um, and the two just went after each other. We got the infamous, now iconic meme of Undertaker laughing at Brock and Brock laughing back. Some really good, fun moments. Uh, you all know what I'm talking about. And yeah, this one, I, a lot of people have this SummerSlam. Like, I was reading a list from Sportster. They had the SummerSlam ranked number two 
from this decade. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. Let me fact check that before I say. Well, Kevin, that. does that does that say more about yeah, the, too. Yeah. the quality of the decade, or does that say more about 2015? Because to me, as you perfectly said there, you like 2015, and I do too, but you don't really know why. Because when you look at the card, you go, oh, well, what else is there that really compelled me?" And I remember watching the show live, and it was a it was a fine solid watch you know it wasn't a show where i thought oh my god when will it end it wasn't a show which i thought oh my god it's amazing but it was just a, a fine watch uh, that main event i loved it i thought it was awesome that that infamous bit the the picture maybe our thumbnail of the undertaker just like <laughs> at brock that was just legendary and brock just being like <laughs> looking all shocked when I mean, they're both sitting up that was just one of the best moments of the pg era in my opinion uh but nonetheless kevin the rest of this show yeah not much you had Stephen Amell and Neville defeating Stardust. So 2023's Cody Rhodes teamed up with Wade Barrett or King Barrett at this stage, the current SmackDown commentator, to lose a tag match to the guy from Arrow who never wrestles, Stephen Amell and Neville, the guy who, like the man who creative forgot, the man who gravity forgot, the one who wore purple and had no character and did flips, that guy. That was the undercard. You had Dolph Ziggler versus Rusev ending in a double countout. This is during the Lana, Summer Rae, Fandango storyline. That you, you got that was when Adam Rose was doing Entertainment Tonight segments, being like, Dolph Ziggler kissed Summer Rae, and then he kissed Lana. Like that, that was that sort of time for WWE. That was a, it was a weird sort of time. But that said, SummerSlam 2015 was an enjoyable watch. So to me, it ranks quite highly. There you go. Yeah, I'd put this in the upper echelon for sure. I mean, just on the heels of Seth Rollins versus Cena, and Undertaker versus Brock Lesnar alone couple of that with some good undercard matches and yeah I mean, I, I, it is interesting watching cody rose in the stardust costume facing some like b-list not even b-list like c-list celebrity yeah. it's like a star of a dc tv show like i remember they tried parading Stephen bell it was like okay like Stephen bell okay i yeah. guess all right uh so yeah now SummerSlam 2016 yes let's see uh what, what do you want to oh man what do you want to start with this there's a, there's a num- this show has quite a few places you can start with. There's the, a lot happened uh, for good or bad on this show. Uh, I think the main one I want to address just firstly, we've talked about this on Elite Heat numerous times, the infamous main event, WWE attempts to do a CNN big-time OMG angle with Brock Lesnar and Randy Orton. They pick their two, outside of Cena, their two biggest like mainstream names that are still around wrestling and try and do some big OMG, it was real spot. They're trying to WWE uncovered, WWE off the script, and just have Brock Lesnar have Randy in a pool of his own blood to try and freak out nine-year-olds, think wrestling was truly real. I don't know. It, it, it fooled Chris Jericho, who tried to fight Brock backstage. It worked on Chris, but yeah, it was it was it was strange. Um, yeah, it felt very random. This was three weeks after they'd done the the brand split and draft. So you had Randy Orton, who was a, a proud. SmackDown guy appearing on Raw or vice versa. I don't even remember. It was like he's on both shows for six years. Then all of a sudden, Kevin, he bleeds blue and OMG, Orton showing up on Raw. Oh, my God. Who would have seen this coming? It was, it was odd. But, yeah, there was that. The world title matches, the infamous Balor and Rollins match. Fergal Devitt shows up. He's there for a cup of coffee. He's there for two minutes. All of a sudden, he's get, just given the universal title because, I don't know, Paul Levesque likes him. I don't know. Favoritism. He wrestles Seth Rollins. There's a buckle bomb. Uh, shoulder gets popped. 
it should have been me. I should have had the title, but you broke my shoulder. Now, seven years later, they're still feuding over this, Kevin. So, is what it is. And then you look at, yeah, Dean Ambrose facing Dolph Ziggler. Eh, world title match. The big thing I want to talk about here, Kevin, Cena Styles. Big shout out to that match. Awesome. Awesome. The other stuff, I have some gripes with, as you've just heard. Cena Styles. I'm going to kick to you. Was that, like, where does that rank with Cena's SummerSlam matches, do you think? Because you mentioned Daniel Bryan, like, a few minutes ago. The Cena Styles match is damn good at this show. All of Cena Styles stuff was good. This was damn good. Yeah, I think their best match in terms of Cena and Styles, I think their best match was at Royal Rumble. Um, I, I would take the Cena Bryan match over this still. Uh, mm. mainly on the heels of like just know that Cena Styles at Rumble was better at the Royal Rumble was better to me. Um this match was very good. I really like this was really the crowning of AJ Styles as the face of the WWE or as one of the faces of WWE. He beat mm. Cena here. A month later he's the WWE champion. He ended Ambrose's two month reign and you know, the infamous like Ambrose not caring and not trying and you know, not wanting to deal with being a top guy. And yeah, all that stuff with the Steve Austin podcast, we know about all that. But I want to say this about this show. When you look at this show, the card is really good, like on paper. The card looks amazing. Yeah, Finn Balor versus Seth Rollins, Universal Championship. Yeah, Dean Ambrose versus Dolph Ziggler, WWE World Championship. Uh, you have AJ Styles versus Cena. You have Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens versus Enzo Amore kicking off the show. Enzo and Cass were the hottest thing in WWE. They were the flavor of the month at this time. Getting massive crowd reactions. Jericho and Kevin Owens were doing the best friends thing. And they were like in the middle of that. Just the list of Jericho and you know making fun of Tom Phillips. And all those hilarious promos that they did at this time. Yeah. This was a good time for wrestling. The, the summer and the fall of 2016 is a time that people look back on fondly and think it's like the best of wwe in number of years it's like 08 09 and realistically it probably was fall of 2016 was a really good time to be a wrestling fan it was really fun smackdown especially just looking back at this seven years later cena styles ages like fine wine great stuff the rest of this card doesn't look that great dean ambrose wasn't long for wwe he's out the door in two and a half years ziggler Never really amounted to anything. It's kind of hard to take him serious as a main event, or even at that time in 2016, it was like, really? You're, you're giving Dean Ambrose Ziggler? Like, this is his first big title of defense that he's getting Ziggler? Okay. He's, like, cutting Triple H promos. Like, I'm that damn good. I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> Finn versus Seth Rollins. This is still going on seven years later. And it wasn't great then. It's not great now. Just good. Mm-hmm. And the infamous Brock versus Randy Orton match. That's what this show was built around. Brock Lesnar gets shoehorned into the main event because of his star power. He didn't want the WWE champion or the Universal champion main eventing. They put Brock in there. Like That shows everybody what they think of the titles, right? The inaugural Universal Championship couldn't even main event the show. Like, look at that. Imagine the show goes off yeah. the air with Finn winning the title. But I understand wow. why they didn't do it. I understand. Everybody yeah. thought that this would be a moment that people would be talking about on like Fox News, ABC, CNN, NBC. You know, Vince McMahon would be doing interviews. He'd be sitting in, in, a, in a chair next to God knows who, Michael Strahan, on a morning show. And Michael Strahan's like, why did Brock Lesnar go off the script and attack Randy Orton like that? Yeah. You know, this was supposed to be massive headlines. WWE wrestler Randy Orton legitimately injured in a real fight that goes off the script. 
and just nobody cared. Nobody cared. Yeah. Like Brock Lesnar, for whatever reason, throws down his his uh, his gloves and he's elbow striking Randy Orton to the forehead, just tearing into him. Randy Orton's bleeding. The, the match is going on, and like Randy Orton is sitting there, just like looking dead. And it's just like, okay, it was flat, you know. Yeah. It it was flat. It didn't work. I understand what they were trying to do, but it didn't work. Um, it, on paper, Brock Lesnar versus Randy Orton. These are two top 25 guys of all time. But there was no rhyme or reason for it. The buildup was shitty. There was no reason to care. It was just like, okay, Brock Lesnar's going to kill Randy Orton. And that's it. Kevin, this, this angle, if they do this with Roman Reigns and Jey Uso, it's perfect. The same thing, Reigns is Brock, Jey Uso is Randy Orton. There's a story. There's a lot in, that goes into it. It would be like, oh my god, Roman's like his cousin's bleeding. He's just mercilessly decimating him. Oh my god, Roman's gone off. If they did that, like in 2023 at this SummerSlam, it'd be nuts, insane. OMG, it would get that sort of reaction. As you say, I'm not going to repeat what you just said, but you're bang on. It was random. It was just what. Randy Orton is a Raw guy who's on SmackDown who's showing up on Raw again two weeks later and he's facing Brock just because the match got announced. Like Brock Lesnar, at this point in 2016, he's just randomly showing up at like UFC events, you know, cage side. He's, this is around the Mark Hunt time, wasn't it? Yeah. Where he had his cage fight. Yeah. It was, it was a, a strange sort of time. Then they do this angle and you're thinking, oh, okay. Like they wanted this to be Vince McMahon on Tucker Carlson explaining WWE. They, they wanted Vince McMahon going on The View that's what they wanted here. They wanted Vince McMahon doing these mainstream interviews, being pressed on this as getting WWE attention, but it fell flat. This is an angle they should do with the bloodline, but nonetheless, I think that's enough on 2016, Kevin. We can keep the ball rolling into 2017, pal. Yeah, 2017 is another one, another SummerSlam. I'll say it's about 2016. I put it average, middle of the pack. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe top four, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. So now i say it's about 2017. This is this is another one that's probably top top three top four. It's in the conversation, definitely top five. Um, this SummerSlam is really intriguing because you know it's really it's one good match, one really good great main event. That's the Fatal Four Way: Brock, Braun, Roman, and Samoa Joe. Just a car yeah. crash of a match, unlike any other match that we've really seen. This at this point, this was probably the funnest match that Brock Lesnar had been a part of, and it was really good. But then, like the undercard. Is severely underwhelming. I mean, John Cena opened the show and defeated Baron Corbin as punishment because Baron Corbin spoke out backstage about the real life issues involving CTE and head injuries. Baron Corbin spoke out about legitimate health concerns for his fellow wrestlers and NFL players as a former NFL player himself. And he was buried for speaking out about legitimate health concerns. In front of Vince McMahon. So because Baron Corbin takes a stand. Says you know what CTE is not good. We need better concussion protocol. Vince McMahon buried him. And made him lose to John Cena. While John Cena was in the midst of his budding acting career. So Cena's here like opening the show. And then he has to go film like whatever movie he was filming. And he leaves. Uh, You know we had like Big Cass versus Big Show. Like what? Enzo Amore is in a shark cage. Above the ring. You remember that, right? That was so ridiculous. And they're, they're, they're trying to have this like funny OMG, look at Enzo, ha! This big, this goon is in the in the cage, 
literally he was like he's like dead he's like shuffling back like how you doing how you doing get me out of here how you doing it was it was really like it was just odd like they're trying to go for comedy it was to me it fell flat maybe some people loved it i don't know i, I was yeah, yeah exactly then you had like sasha versus alexa bliss you know finn Balor versus bray wyatt the only other good match on the show is Ambrose and Rollins versus Cesaro and Sheamus. Yeah. That's literally the only other good match. Or, like, like great match, you could say. But, but Kevin, Kevin what, what about Jinder Mahal, the modern-day Maharaja, versus Shinsuke Nakamura Power? WWE Championship. This is the belt that Stone Cold, Hulk Hogan, The Rock, Cena, all these all-time greats, Bruno Sammartino, Buddy Rogers... Pedro Morales, as Michael Cole says nowadays, these guys fought so hard for. And here in 2017 in SummerSlam, we've got Jinder Mahal with, what, what were they called? The Singh Brothers or the Bollywood Boys or whatever they were called against Nakamura. Like what? 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 If you think this match was trash, say yeah. 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 Yeah, so, that, so then you got AJ Styles versus Owens, US Championship. Pretty good match, but I mean, too much Shane McMahon involvement for my liking. I, I, I couldn't get with that. Uh, yeah, overall, like I said, still, because of the main event and the tag team match, still a top five SummerSlam for this decade. But really one that was probably remembered for being too long. You had three pre-show matches. You had a 20-minute match on the pre-show. That was probably the third best match on the show, honestly. Yeah, the Usos yeah. versus The New Day. And every time those guys got in the ring, it was great. But this was like that era where it was like five-hour-long pay-per-views with an hour-long pre-show. Every match got more than enough time. It was just like, you're going to be here, you're going to be watching wrestling from 7 p.m. to midnight, pal. And that's it, on a Sunday night. Yeah, well, Kevin, this was before AW was even really murmuring, before they became a thing. So especially from about 2017 through really 2019, that three-year bracket... WWE did whatever the damn well hell they felt like, and they couldn't care less, basically. And this is what we got here, like a, a five-hour show with a one-hour kickoff. 2018 was a repeat offender. They, they were a recidivist of this as well. The, 2018, Kevin, I mean, also one more thing on 2017. As you say, amazing main event. Phenomenal main event. I loved it. That match is – I could watch that match and show that to anyone. That's a really good match to show a wrestling fan who's not into – a non-wrestling fan to try and get him into wrestling. That's a great just car crash demolition derby with four legit heavyweights. But nonetheless, Kevin, speaking of the five-hour show with one-hour kickoff show era or two-hour kickoff shows, 2018 was a recidivist, as I said. Uh, do you want to talk to us about 2018 now? Yeah, let's talk about it. Um, so this show, this is, this is a, a worst of the decade contender, in my opinion. This show was garbage. Just absolute, utter garbage i don't really know what the highlight of this show is I, I really don't know like i'm struggling i'm trying to think is is the highlight like ronda rousey versus alexa bliss or like alexa bliss is like trying to punch ronda and she's just laughing flexing her muscles uh is it the miz and daniel bryan having a 24 minute match on the undercard i mean this is what a, a 10 match 11 match card and it featured Brian Danielson versus Mike Mizanin in the middle of the card of a 23 match, literally for no reason. No championships on the line. The only reason why they're having this match is because The Miz got beat red in the face and yelled at Brian Danielson on a network exclusive show. 
for like two and a half minutes and was like, me, I'm the one. I'm the one that's still healthy. Me, me. And he's just yelling at Brian. Like, I understand it was a good promo. Miz shows some heart. Miz got real. I get it. You know, Daniel Bryan called him soft and things got awkward. But it was two years ago. We're supposed to care about this match? Okay. If you liked it, you liked it. Maybe I'm a little harsh. Whatever. Um, overall, a lot of filler. Nothing really delivered. The main event was trash. It was absolute, utter, disgusting trash. One of the worst main events in SummerSlam history. This is up there with Undertaker versus Undertaker. And Undertaker versus Giant Gonzalez as an all-time trash SummerSlam main <laughs> event. Kurt Angle got a legitimate concussion. Almost 20 years. Like, 18 years prior to this show. Kurt Angle suffered a legitimate concussion, did not know where he was, was forced to go back out and perform and finish that match with The Rock and Triple H. In a star-studded triple threat match at the peak of the Attitude Era. At SummerSlam 2000. 18 years later, we get Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar in a 6 minute and 10 second match. Four months to the date after Brock Lesnar tried to kill Vince McMahon by throwing a, a heavy championship belt made of gold at an old man's face. In the back, in the gorilla, not even backstage, in the gorilla position. At a, at a WrestleMania event. Four months after Brock Lesnar tries to commit a murder on Vince McMahon. Because Brock Lesnar wanted time off and Vince would not let him have time off. All he wanted was time off, pal. He had been Universal Champion for a year. And Vince's like, no, damn it. You're going to go four more months and you're going to lose the belt to Roman anyway. And Brock's like, why don't we do it at WrestleMania, the biggest show of the year? And Vince's like, well, I don't want to do it that way. So Brock Lesnar throws the belt at his face. It's like, you happy? So Brock Lesnar did not want to be here. Brock Lesnar wanted to be anywhere but here. Brock Lesnar at this point was like taking pictures with Dana White in Vegas, teasing a UFC return. And here he is, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, forcing him to go down to the ring, defend the championship against Roman Reigns. And Roman wins because, you know, Braun Strowman standing out there with the briefcase. Like, yeah, I'm the world's strongest Mr. Money in the Bank. Yeah, okay, I'm here. And then yeah. Roman wins with like a roll-up or whatever. You could recount it better than I can. Roman won with like a roll-up or like a clothesline or whatever and just mm. an awful absolute disgusting trash negative three star main event not even worth the ten dollars that you pay for the wwe network at this time horrible this one of the worst summer slams this might be worse than 2010 i think i'm talking myself into saying this is worse than 2010 maybe i'm crazy there's not one good match on the show can you find one good match on the show i'll take the ball and move on here so, Kevin, you said a lot there. One thing I will say, of, of all the SummerSlams we're discussing in this 2010s decade, this had the worst flow of any show. You mentioned what was the highlight. Being frank here, the highlight quite literally, I know you made a joke, but the highlight literally was The Miz and Daniel Bryan. That was the highlight of the show. Uh, I mean, the opening match was fine. You, had a, you have a good mid-carder in Seth Rollins facing... Ziggler in like their third match of this, this trilogy. By this point, everyone was like, okay, we've seen this next. It's like on paper, it probably looks pretty good. A 22-minute Rollins-Ziggler IC title match opening. It was a fine match, but everyone, everyone was sick of it by that point. And then you get the rest of the show, Kevin, and it's just, I'll say, I'll say again, the flow. The flow was just not there. Like you're, you're sitting through this and you're watching and you're going, okay, the opener was decent, now what? And then you've got like the Bludgeon Brothers and there's this weird DQ 10-minute SmackDown tag title match. And then, okay, well, what's next? What's next? Then you have Braun Strowman squashing Kevin Owens in like a minute. 
with the money in the bank contract on the line, you're thinking, well, well, what was that? Like, like, what are they doing? And then Charlotte runs out there and just wins the women's title in a, in a near 20-minute match when she was so clearly better than Carmella and Becky Lynch was just there. This was when they started the Becky Lynch sort of momentum, but not really. Yeah. So it was still sort of just, oh, hey, it's Becky. And then the end of the match, oh, Becky means a bit more now because she punched Charlotte, sure. And then the, the show went on, the, the Joe and Styles match. But at this point, once again, I don't know. I, 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 was, I was never into Joe and Styles. I just wasn't. Some of the stuff they did with the, the segments where Joe's being personal with Styles and talking about his family, that was good. Their matches just never fully clicked, Kevin. Uh, one of the many kind of combinations in wrestling history where on paper it looks really good, but the two guys just don't fully click as you think they probably should. So there's that. And then there's the main event, which you make it seem like it is the absolute worst match we've ever seen. Was it the worst match you've ever seen? No. How I'll defend this match. It was six minutes and 10 seconds featuring Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. Yes, we know who should who was clearly going to win, obviously. Yes, we know that, but Kevin... The fact of the matter is, it's Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. These are two all-time top 20 guys. How bad can a six-minute match between those two be? It was negative three yes, stars. I'll give you that. It, it wasn't was a trash. Bad trash. Negative three stars. It was worse stars. than Undertaker and it Goldberg. It was negative three stars. Then what was Undertaker and Goldberg and Saudi? Negative five. <laughs> fair. That's, that's fair. <laughs> but like, you describe it. Like, Brock Lesnar threw Joanna Y on the side of his head and his neck snapped in the middle of the match. It was, like, that painfully bad. Brock Lesnar. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What? Brock Lesnar. A yes. legitimate UFC champion. A legitimate NCAA wrestling champion. Lost yeah. because he got distracted by another another grown man's theme music being hit. Kevin, he lost because of a, a spear, pal. The devastating spear from Roman Reigns. He got distracted by by music, pal. Brock Lesnar, a man that, that would literally kill someone in a cage, in an octagon, got distracted by theme music. I don't want to hear it no more. I don't want to hear it. Stop. Stop defending this match. I, I want to say That's something about Samoa Joe and, and AJ Styles. Samoa Joe, literally, I, I remember the highlight now. Samoa Joe yelling at AJ Styles' wife and kids. That is the highlight of this entire show. Mm-hmm. That is literally the highlight of the show. That and Ronda Rousey flexing her muscles while Alexa Bliss looks like a child trying to punch her. That's the highlights of this show. I forgot about that with the, with the Wendy stuff. Like, that was a great build. And I want to say this real quick before we move on. Seth Rollins and Ziggler got 22 minutes. Joe and AJ Styles got 23 minutes. Miz and Brian, 23 minutes. That's over an hour of pay-per-view time taken up by those three matches. Despicable. Kevin, once you add in the pre-match videos, entrances, and post-match kerfuffle, it was like an hour and 40 minutes with those three matches. And you wonder why these events were like seven hours long. Did Rollins and Ziggler's like fourth match need to be nearly 25 minutes? No. No. Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm see this show, 2018 SummerSlam, just reflecting on this is borderline giving me an aneurysm. So are we ready to move on to the, the final one of the 2010s decade, Kevin? The, the final one, the big event, pal, 2019. Are we ready? Yeah. Oh, I'm ready. Go ahead. Kick Kevin. it off. Can I just say, this show didn't feel like SummerSlam. This felt like Stomping Grounds. I was watching it this time. Roman Reigns was, I mean, he'd returned from leukemia six months prior. He's the clear top guy in WWE this time. They've got a upper mid-card sort of guy, Seth Rollins, main eventing as like the face world champion of the company who you're supposed to really buy into. Rollins squashes Brock Lesnar in two minutes at WrestleMania. A legitimate UFC world champion 
he beat Mark Hunt fair and square in an octagon just for 2019 for him to lose to Kobe Lopez, some Ring of Honor guy, at in opening of WrestleMania 35, Kevin. In your home state, Kevin. In your part of the world. Your side of the US. In New Jersey, Kevin. Ridiculous. And Kevin, we move on to SummerSlam and Seth Rollins beats him again. He beats him again. Brock Lesnar. Hey, this match was this good, though. Brock freaking Lesnar. This match was good. Kevin. It was like 13 minutes. It was good. Five years earlier, Brock squashed Cena. Brock broke the streak. And Rollins beat him twice easily. Ridiculous. The first, so, one, the first one at WrestleMania 35 was egregious. That was disgusting. <laughs> that was like... This match was good, though. This was actually good. Yeah, this, I know, as, as, as I said last week, this is actually a good match. But like the, the WrestleMania 35 thing is just... Disgusting. That might be one of the most vile booking decisions Vince McMahon's ever made. Vince McMahon's done some shady things, as you talk about on your channel. But having Seth Rollins... <laughs> Beat Brock Lesnar and win a championship in a like one minute forty second match at WrestleMania. It might be one of the worst decisions ever in wrestling. Hold on, hold on. So you're telling me that that um, Vince McMahon booking Seth Rollins to beat Brock Lesnar in less than five minutes at WrestleMania? That's one shady. minute thirty. It wasn't less than five. It was one minute thirty seconds. Kevin, is that is that shadier than when Vince McMahon covered up a, a murder? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, with that being said, we're going to move on to. Some say in 2019 here. The main event was actually good. I mean, Rollins versus Lesnar. WrestleMania aside, that, that, we're not talking about WrestleMania, we're talking about SummerSlam. That was a good match. That was like a good sort of moment for Rollins, all being said. Uh, and then the rest of this, Kevin, I mean, I mentioned stomping grounds before. Really, we're talking SummerSlam 2019. We're talking the first appearance of The Fiend, which is a big deal. Now, obviously, four years in the review mirror, we look at this and go, oh, the Fiend. That was the one who got electrocuted or electrocuted Seth Rollins in Saudi. The one who had a toolbox and a mallet and got DQ'd at Hell in a Cell. That was the one who had the, the Mountain Dew pitch black match. The Mountain Dew black match. The BBC match was LA Night, yeah. At Royal Rumble 2023. That's that guy, Kevin. That was The Fiend. So you look back now and it's like, what is this? But he, he showed up here. He debuted against Finn Balor in his tidy whiteies. Fogel wearing literally all white gear. I didn't need to say that. No, thank you. Uh, so I look at that. The rest of this show as well. I mean, you said about two SummerSlams ago, we didn't need more Shane McMahon. Well, we had plenty of Shane McMahon on this show. Owens versus Shane McMahon in a fun 10-minute match. Just be just because here's Shane McMahon. Was this Shane McMahon's last ever like good match? Because he had the match with Braun Strowman, which everyone hated. And then he blew out his knee at WrestleMania 39. And one of the most awful... Dark moments in wrestling history. Shane McMahon was trying to be Dwayne The Rock Johnson and his knee exploded. So, I don't know about that. And then I look at the rest of this show, Kevin. The rest of this. This is SummerSlam. They're in Canada. This is a big-time show. And then you look at the second match of the night, Kevin. You look at Goldberg. This man, 21 years ago in 1998, was on TV guides. He was on billboards in Times Square. This is Bill effing Goldberg, the face of WCW. And he's out there wrestling a match against Nick Nemeth, the guy from the Spirit Squad who had literal fecal matter poured on him by D-Generation X. Paul Levesque, Shawn Michaels poured fecal matter on Nick Nemeth in 2006. And now, at SummerSlam 2019, Bill Goldberg squashing him in a, a one-minute match. Okay, brilliant. Just because a month prior, Kevin, Bill Goldberg nearly killed Mark Calloway for real in Saudi. He dropped him on his neck 
and nearly ended an all-time great Mount Rushmore guy's career, Kevin. So there was that. And finally, we had a fitness model in Trish Stratus, one of, if not the greatest female wrestlers of all time, against Charlotte Flair. I think in 2019, Charlotte was already, I think, like a 10-time women's champion. I think somewhere around there. I don't know. I don't really care. This was a good match. This was objectively a good match, three and a half to four star sort of thing. And who can forget Kofi Kingston and Randy Orton, WWE Championship, double count out. Who can forget that? That, that match is up there. Steamboat Savage. Steamboat Savage. Stupid. Austin Rock. It was stupid, Kevin. I agree. Kofi was stupid for accepting this match. Kofi should have exercised backstage creative control and thrown the belt at Vince McMahon. When Vince McMahon told him, you're going to have a double count out against Orton, then you're going to beat Orton at Night of Champions, and then you're going to lose to Brock Lesnar in seven seconds on SmackDown, he should have thrown the belt at Vince and walked out. So that being said, Kevin, deep breath. This show was meh. I'd say this is probably around sixth, sort of, if we're out of the ten, six, seven. I got this eighth. I had this eighth. Fair enough. It's not as bad as 2018 or 2010. But it is not much better. So that being said, over to you, pal. Follow that up. Stupid. Nah, that was yeah. The build up for a WWE Championship match was legitimately Randall Keith Orton sitting on a couch on the Titantron, talking about an angle that happened like ten years prior, where he like went crazy on Kofi, called him stupid on Raw. That was legitimately the build up here. Uh, yeah, ten year callbacks, long term storytelling, great stuff. Um, these high noons are really kicking in, pal, so I'm not going to say too much. Um, mm-hmm. I'll just say this SummerSlam, not it. Not it. And yep. I want to note this, too, real quick, before you go. Yep. Elias was a special guest referee for that Kevin Owens and Shane McMahon match. Fun fact of the day, pal. So, yeah, Kevin, what were you going to say? Did you know, Kevin, did you know, as you mentioned, 10 years prior... Kofi Kingston and Randy Orton did an angle in Madison Square Garden. And I remember this whole build quite literally was them showing the video of Kofi Kingston when he was doing the Jamaican accent, which there's a bunch of shoot interviews about being racist. Kofi Kingston doing the Jamaican accent (laughs) and the whole storyline for a WWE Championship match at SummerSlam in Canada. The big storyline was Kofi Kingston hit the boom drop on Randy Orton 10 years ago in a random raw angle and Randy Orton got mad and did an RKO when Randy Orton was like naked with like a, a skin bald head. Thrilling. That's just, Kevin, that is just the WWE Championship storyline we need. You look at the World Championship now, Kevin. 2023, a three year long Roman Reigns, Jay Uso storyline. Solo Sokoa is gonna turn heel soon. Heyman's crying, Heyman's sobbing. He's freaking out about everything. Jimmy Uso, is showing bitter pent-up resentment at Joanna Y for bailing him out once he goes fourth DUI in Florida one time. All of this is going on. And what do we get now? Like, we get that. What do we get in 2019? We get, stupid. Ten years ago, you boom-dropped me. Stupid. You tried to hit Trouble in Paradise in a Raw match in September. Stupid. And Kofi's like, I'm going to beat you at the pay-per-view. And Randy Orton's like, stupid ridiculous there you go kevin carry on lovely all right now with that being said that that brings a conclusion to our rundown of every SummerSlam from the 2010s yeah 
So I think we're both in conclusion here. No, you said 2015 is the best, didn't you? Or did you say 2013? I said 2013 is number one. Yep. And then from there for me, I'd probably put 2015 number two. And I then, agree. From, then from there, I mean, as we've just gone through, there's a lot of questionable from really three on. Uh, but for me, it's yeah, 2013 14. is number I one. I go 14 after that. I okay. go 13, 15, 14. Top three. Okay. So you're saying SummerSlam peaked in the mid 2010s? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, no. this decade, yeah, that that was the the highlight of this decade. And then For this decade, yes. Yeah, I think you could maybe go 17. 17 was a fun show. Um, and then maybe 11, 12. After that, maybe 16. Yeah. I don't know, like 18, 19, no. 10, 11, no. Kevin, would you say the WWE? really dropped the ball with SummerSlam in the 2010s? Um, no, not necessarily. Like we talked about with 16, the card was really good, and they were coming from a good place. Just poorly executed, you know? Um, 18 and 19, undoubtedly awful shows. 2010, awful shows. But 13 was really good. 13 was like an all-time great pay-per-view, in my opinion. And 15 was really good, too. You know, 15 had two really good matches with Cena Rollins, Brock Taker, fun matches on the undercard. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say they dropped the ball. No, I wouldn't say. I, I don't think so. I, I would. I, I would. I, I just think, like, I look at as a, this is the second biggest show to WrestleMania. And, I mean, nowadays, I'd say the Royal Rumble is the second biggest show, realistically, from a hype standpoint. But some say I'm still a big deal now. But you look at the 2010s, and just SummerSlam generally, this is a big show. And when we look at the WWE 2010s decade for SummerSlam, 2013 was an objective hit. That was really good. 2015, pretty good, pretty good. Some really good stuff there. Good, easy to watch show, memorable. 2014, had a big time main event. Some other good stuff, good, easy watch. And then, yeah, they tried the 2016 and that card. 2017 had a great main event. You know, but then you look at I mean, 2012, they had a big main event, but it fell flat as, as did the rest of the show. 2011 was two good matches, the upper mid card, the main event with Auden Christian and Cena Punk. Rest was sort of flat. Oh. Really, what I'm seeing here a bit of a trend. Most of these shows, I mean, there's one pretty good to a really good match on each show, which is a tick. And then most shows generally have a second pretty good match. So that's that's good. But then the sort of the shows seem to fall away quite a lot, which is when we're going through this. That's what I'm noticing. Well, at least. 18 should have been like it. Like if you take out some of the filler, half the show, take out yeah. three hours from it. Yeah. yeah. You make that like a three and a half hour, four hour show. You shrink down some of the matches. You know, you give Miz and Brian like 12 minutes. You give the opener like 11. And that's a good show. You know, like imagine a SummerSlam 02. You had Kurt Angle and Rey Mysterio wrestle for 25 minutes. Then you had Edge and Eddie wrestle for 22 minutes. And then, you know, you had, uh, what was the other what was the other good undercard match on that show? Um, RVD and Benoit, you give them like 25 minutes. The show would have been kind of boring, you know? It was too much. It was just too much. They were trying to do too much in that era. The, the blueprint was there, and the importance was there. You know, they, they made this show really good. You got good, consistent builds for the matches. You know, you, your main event matches had good builds, like Samoa and AJ, Samoa Joe and AJ Styles had a great build up. This piss poor execution on the match, like it was there. They tried with all the SummerSlams. They tried to make them feel big. 
Um, 2019 was really the only one that didn't really fit. And 2010. 2019 and 2010 mm. didn't really feel like SummerSlams. All the others yeah. had the pomp and circumstance to it and, and the buildup. But it was just poor execution. But I, I think 13, 14, and 15 are all-time great pay-per-views. But I think 3 out of 10, not a bad success rate. Yeah, those shows were fine large year hits. They did a lot right, the 13 through 15. The rest, there's... Those shows, they had, most of them had the foundation to be quite good, and they either end up being okay to good to some of them, mainly 2010, 2019, just never never hit the mark. They just felt like C pay-per-views. They just didn't feel like true SummerSlam events. Uh, so that being said, Kevin, I think I'll ask the question now. Your SummerSlam 2010's match of the decade, what was, in your opinion, the best SummerSlam match of the 2010s? Mm, Brock Punk. I think it's got to go to Brock Punk for sure. Uh, I think Cena Bryan is right there. I think that's number two. But Brock Punk, that match is an all-time great. One of my favorite matches of all time. I can watch it all to, all the time. I can watch that. I've seen it like 10, 12 times. Probably more than that in my life. I, I love watching that match. I watch it at least like once a year, once every couple years. Just one of those that is timeless. Um, and for whatever reason, those two guys had great chemistry and it clicked. Yeah, I'd agree. Brock Punk is one. And then, for me, I'll, I'll give a top five. So, Brock Punk is one. And then the rest, in no specific order. To me, the Fatal 4-Way from 2017. That main event, which is awesome. Super watchable. Rollins and Cena, 2015. Brian and Cena, 2014. And then... Cena this one, I'd say Brock and Cena from 14, just because of how, like, OMG it was. Uh, one match I won't be putting in there... For this decade, Kevin, well, I mean, there's a number of them. But that, that Alicia Fox versus whoever it was match you mentioned for the Divas, that's not making the top five. Um, Alicia Fox, Layla, or whatever it was, I don't even remember. Um, but, yeah, that's my top five, Kevin. I think, objectively, I mean, there's those five. Maybe there's, like, a, a sixth and a seventh one. You say, I think, Styles Cena potentially has a case. And then, really, Brock from there. Yeah, Brock Tabin, Christian Orton from 2011. Definitely not Team Nexus versus Team WWE, I'll say that much. Um, well, Kevin, what, what do you think was the worst, or, or the worst match or like biggest flop or biggest letdown? Just one thing that stands out like a sore thumb. Oh, the biggest letdown is Brock Orton, for sure. Without, without yeah. a shadow of a doubt, that's the biggest letdown in the history, maybe in the history of wrestling. When you talk about like a big, marquee, hyped match, this is a SummerSlam main event. Brock Lesnar, Randy Orton, top 25 guys. I, I'm struggling to think of a bigger letdown than that match right there. Honestly. I, I don't know. Maybe that's a bit strong. Maybe I'm being a little bit, you know, a little bit optimistic with that statement. Mm. I don't know. But for me, it's got to be that one. Like, it, it's it's got to be. I don't know. But... Mm. I, don't, I don't know. Because, like, at the time... That didn't really have high... Well, going into the show, I can only speak from my experience. Maybe you had a different experience. Maybe listeners had a different experience. But when I was watching at that time, end of July, early August, they're building to SummerSlam 2016. They've got Raw. They've got SmackDown. They're doing a brand split. To me, that, that Orton and Brock didn't feel... like You knew it was going to main event. You knew, knew that was going to be going on last at SummerSlam. But it didn't feel like a big-time OMG. They're, they're facing Fantasy Warfare. It didn't feel that way to me, at least. So when they did the match, it felt even more flat. 
and they're trying to do this epic shoot ending. Oh my god! Oh my god! And it was just like, ah, oh, really? So yeah, yeah that mean, was that. It's the star power, bro. You know, it's the mm. star power. Like that's what it comes down to. You know, those two guys. Like you think you put them in the ring, it's gonna be great. You, know, you just assume it's gonna be a great. It's gonna be a hit. They're too good to have a to have like a bad or like an average match. I mean, if you want to, we can talk about the Nexus thing. That one is another botch. Terrible, mm-hmm. uh, it's a terrible thing in general. It's just really bad. Like, it, it gives people fuel to hate Sienna for no reason. And a lot of people wanted Nexus to win for whatever reason. I don't know. But just not a good look for SummerSlam overall. Yeah, I'll just throw in a couple of quick honorable mentions. I think we can both agree on that being the biggest letdown. But other honorable mentions that we've just touched on, just real quick. Del Rio's 2011 cash-in, just how flat that felt. It was yeah. just like, oh, okay. Del Rio's cashing in, sure, I guess. Like, okay. Nexus, as you said, took it, took words out of my mouth. Brock, Triple H, it's a similar thing to Brock and Orton. They didn't do the big shoot angle at the end, but, you know, they almost did like a Triple H mini retirement sort of thing. They had Triple H walk off, he's crying, up, like leaving the 25th anniversary of SummerSlam. He's his long hair. The camera zooms in. He does this, like, longing stare, like the, like the back, you know, the nosebleed seats, he's you know, crying, Brock's beating him, he's like holding his arm, and then he, he just shot a few months later bald and beat Brock at WrestleMania, so it's like, okay, sure. Uh, and then from there, I don't know. Uh, we've covered really the main ones, 2018, the main event there, that has to be acknowledged again. Uh, I don't think it's, as you think it's one of the worst matches, just the modern era, I don't think it was as bad a match, I think it was a bit like, eh, eh, not great. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking, yeah, Roman Brock for sure. Roman Brock, that yeah. might be the worst match of this decade. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Of this yeah, summer, yeah. this SummerSlam, yeah, that's that's brutal, awful, disgusting. Yeah. Kevin, does Brock being involved in three of these matches, which we're concluding fell flat, being this 2018 main event, the 2016 Orton CNN thing, and then 2012 feeling flat and forced, does that affect his SummerSlam no, legacy? Not at all. The, the matches with the matches with Orton and Triple H weren't bad matches; they were just average. Yeah, the match with Roman was terrible. We talked about it as a dud, absolute trash, garbage. Yeah, you said that like thirty times. I, I know. know. I'm driving <laughs> it home. Trash. I'm driving it home. Make sure that you understand. I'm, I'm, I'm programming you, pal, so you don't try to defend that match again because it's, it's, it's just disgusting hearing you defend it. But I digress. Uh, that's SummerSlam in the 2010s. I don't have much else to say. Uh, let's, let's do our life segment, pal. Let's go around the world. I'm ready. I thought we we covered a bunch of this live segment with your your Bali experience, but I guess Kevin, real quick, if you want to let us know, you sort of alluded to it, but I just want to double down. We've just we started talking Barbie here. As far as movies you've seen this year, where does that rank? Is that like one of the best ones you've seen? You said you fell asleep a bit, and you said it was good, but where does that one sort of rank? Because I haven't seen it yet. I, I, if your review is good here, I I will. So. What was your ruthless thoughts? Just run one more time down. On Barbie? Yeah, just talk to us down. Yeah, it was it was a solid movie. Um it's depend it, like it was politically influenced in a lot of ways. I'll leave it at that. There was a lot of statements by the main actress. Um and just the nature of the movie, the the feminism and the women empowerment. So it, it could rub some people the wrong way. Me personally, I'm not bothered by that. It doesn't bother me at all, but it could rub some people the wrong way. A lot of people want to go to the movies just to see entertainment and just enjoy a, a movie that's in the middle, not pushing any agendas. But th- this was it was agenda heavy, so I would be wary of that for some of you. Yeah. 
Um, but the acting was good. Ryan Gosling is a great actor. You know, Margaret Robbie, great actress. Uh, nothing really like awful about it. Uh, I saw Mission Impossible. I thought that one was good. Have you seen any movies this year? I haven't really seen anything other than that. I saw yeah. uh, Guardians of the Galaxy was pretty good. That's like it, really. Well, Kevin, I'm, I'm just busy hanging out for the, the Cody Rhodes A&E documentary. The, the, the big one they're, they're putting. Apparently it's going to be two hours long, they said. It's like this big proper documentary in the Cody. You, you think, you think they're going to show Cody uh, making phone calls backstage at AEW, calling wrestlers to, to appear on AEW Dark? Well, they probably will. There's probably be footage of that. Um, I don't know if you saw the, the Raw. So I don't know if you live segments. It's just a general discussion chat. I know the, the segment they did on Raw like last week where Brock's attacking Cody. He's, he's beating him up. You know, Cody's mother ringside. Like, she's like, <laughs> as Cody's getting like f 5 on the floor. And it, it gave me sort of PTSD flashbacks to when you'd have Shane McMahon and The Miz punching each other in front of George Mazanin. Like, I was getting flashbacks to that. I'm like, I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like having the like the, the, the parents of a, a, a current star involved. I don't love that in this context, but I don't know. I don't know. That was just me. So. I don't but know, Kevin, Kevin, yeah, to answer the, the movies question, I want to see, after your great review, I want to see Barbie. I want to see Sound of Freedom. I've heard lots of interesting things yeah. about that one. Oh, yeah. Talk about politically charged. Oof, man. Yeah. Oh, our air conditioner's broken. We can't show the movie, guys. Oh, I wonder why that is. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, oh, sorry, you have to cancel your tickets. Oh, it's a sold-out cinema. There's six people here. Oh, what? Okay, interesting. Makes sense. Wonder why that is. Uh, but nonetheless, Kevin, yeah, there's a number of movies, and then there's another one about war, I think. World War Two was there? Yes, uh, uh, Oppenheimer. Yeah, have you seen that, or do you plan on seeing that? Or? Uh, it came out yesterday, so I haven't seen it yet. But like I said, I saw Mission Impossible. That one was pretty good. I don't know if you've seen any of the other Mission Impossible movies. Um, I like that Like we're, we're seven movies in, and we still get something different from Tom Cruise each and every time. So I like that. But yeah, Open Eye, I'm going to watch definitely at some point. Yeah, and then hmm, let's see what The Rock's next mu- no, movie project is. Well, while we did, I discussed him last week, had one of my great rants on Dwayne Johnson. Which I might say, I was actually very proud of that rant on Dwayne. The execution was seamless. I went off on Dwayne. Uh, oh, Fast X, pal. You can you go and see Fast X when it comes out? Uh, did that come out already? Oh, it did, didn't it? No, yeah, I was going to say. He, he wasn't in it, know. no. Damn, he got, he got replaced by John Felix Anthony Cena Jr. in the Fast franchise. Oh, I'm thinking Fast 9. I'm so, I'm so washed when it comes to movies, pal. I'm so watched. You're not a movie I, guy? I Why don't you watch movies, pal? I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not a big movie guy, no. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I literally, I'm more into either YouTube or, I don't know, just general, like, I watch sports stuff. Really, you know, NBA and that sort of thing. So I'm not into really watching movies or TV series. That's just not my sort of go. I don't know, if you, are you into any, like, TV series or movies? Or yeah. Oh, yeah, movie? I love watching TV shows, yeah. I'm not watching any yeah, currently, cool. but I do love watching a good TV show. What are your um, favorites? Like, what are your, what are your like? If you had to think of a couple, like your favorite TV show series, what, what uh, would they be? I'm an HBO guy. Definitely, I love HBO series. Uh, Succession is one of my all time fav- all time favorites. Sopranos, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm with Larry David, hilarious. One of the funniest shows you'll ever see. Uh, the rehearsal with uh, what's his name? Um, Nathan Nathan uh, Nathan Fielder. Yeah, Nathan Fielder. 
Are you familiar with that? Have you seen the rehearsal? Have you heard of Nathan Field? You heard I of Nathan seen the for you? No. I, I have heard of that as well, though. I haven't seen it. Okay, so he had uh, originally had a, a comedy uh, Comedy Central series called Nathan for You. And essentially, it was like a spoof comedy thing where he would go in. The whole premise of the show is he would go up to small businesses. Say you own like a pizza parlor, right? And he would approach you and say, hey, Jimmy, I can help you get business to your pizza parlor. And he would give you the most ridiculous idea you could ever imagine. Like, there's one episode where um, he's helping, like, an electronics store. They sell TVs, you know, video game consoles, stuff like that. A small electronics store. He's helping them grow their business. So he's like, all right, what we're going to do is we're going to sell a TV for a dollar. Like, sounds nuts, I know. And then, um, you know, we're going to go, what we're going to do is we're going to put our TVs on sale for a dollar. We're going to go to Best Buy, buy their TVs for a dollar, get them to price match, buy their TVs for a dollar. Then we're going to sell those TVs that we bought for a dollar. We're going to sell them at regular price. So the whole premise of it is like, okay, we're going to put this TV on sale for a dollar, but there's a catch. One, you got to come to the store wearing a suit, a full three-piece suit, tie, everything. And then if you do that, then you got to go walk into like uh, into a cage, walk through a cage that has an alligator in it. You got to walk past an alligator. Once you walk through that cage, through the alligator, then you can buy the TV there afterwards. So just ridiculous right. ideas like that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. But he had um, a show on. Um... I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that that's wild. I'm, I'll, I'll take it on a complete side tangent. I'll finish your point and then I'll go on. Yeah, so then he comes back like a decade later with this show on HBO called Rehearsal, where he's just like, it's a mindfuck, honestly, for lack of a better term. He's like, uh, he's helping people get through their anxiety by rehearsing their lives. Again, say he approaches you, he's like, Jimmy, okay, you have a date with this woman. You're very nervous for your first date. What he'll do is he'll hire a a woman to play the girl that you're going on a date with. He'll hire an actor to play you. And then he'll get a, a, a fake house, make it look just like yours, and show the actor preparing to be you, like getting ready, like, oh, so you know, weird. and then living oh. through the date. You see the girl getting, the girl actress getting ready, and then you see the actors going on the date together. Oh my god. Yeah, it's really yeah. wild. It's a great show. But yeah, go ahead. I'm done. That's wild. Also, I want to say, um, Kevin, do you follow or know of cricket much at all? Like, I know it's not big big over there i know nothing about cricket no okay well i've had a few people on like my jze channel like just fans of like my channel just commenters want my opinion on there's there's essentially the ashes are going on right now it's basically australia versus england because kevin australia we're australians we're all convicts whether the people england sent over here and just said (laughs) england said take out criminals we're gonna put them on this land that's essentially what happened 200 years ago um so they're playing they're playing a cricket series, Kevin. Um, the, the cricket games take five days uh, at the moment. Uh, so they're in the fourth test match. Basically, uh, I'll summarize this for you and then give my opinion for the people who, the three of you who are begging for my opinion on this. Basically, Australia won the first two, like, narrowly. It was, like, their close games. Australia ended up winning, thank God. So they're up 2-0. I'm thinking, no way they can blow a 2-0 lead. They already have the, the Ashes, which is, like, the, 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 the prize, the trophy the winning the last series. All they need to do is draw one of them or win one to retain. 
They've lost the third one when they should have won. Now the fourth one, they're getting battered in. Australia are getting decimated. Like, it's an absolute debacle. Our captain doesn't know what he's doing. He's just... You got this. Can England are actually trying? They're like hitting the ball around. Like England are going. Oh, you know, the Australia have good bowlers. <laughs> Sucked in, boom, hit that. You know, eighty feet into the crowd. Like they're just sending cricket balls. They're scoring at like six runs and over. And Australia looks like they don't know what to do. So Australia is getting smashed now, Kevin. We're probably going to lose the series at this rate. We're going to lose the fourth game and probably the fifth game. And people want my thoughts. Our team's a mess now. We need to get rid of half the batsmen, Kevin. Our, it's our, our, version, our version of hitters, like the batsmen. They're supposed to be good. We've got like three of the top five in the world, in the world rankings. All of them, Kevin, play so well in Australia. In Australia, we never lose a game. They're, they're flat-track bullies, Kevin. Like at their home ground, they'll just hit the 100 runs. They'll look dominant. Oh, my God, you can't get them out. They go to England. The ball moves a little bit. Because there's like swing, and they look like that. They never played cricket before. They look like me out there. Our batsmen are like, oh, oh, I'm out. I made three runs, and now I'm out. And they can't do anything. And England, Kevin, as I said, are just like hitting us around. Boom. Oh, where, where do you want that one hit? I'm just going to go over there. And Australia are just an absolute mess. So, for my honest opinions, people asking, we're going to lose the series. Australia going to lose the Ashes uh, at this rate. Our captain doesn't know what he's doing anymore. He was good, but now he's not. And we, we've all betrayed him. We've all turned on him in the space of two weeks because now he doesn't know what he's doing. And, uh, yeah, there you go. There you go, pal. I love it. Good old cricket talk, pal. Uh, I think that's yep. it for Around the World. I think that's it for this week's podcast. Anything else you want to say? There you go. Kevin, uh, that, was, that was a good show, I thought. And just let's have a quick check. What's on the agenda next week as far as the Elite Heat Airways? Because I remember we had a really good brainstorm a while back I think we had something pretty cool planned. Do you have the, the schedule right in front of yeah, you? Or do you want me to pull it up? Yeah, I got you. Let me pull it. Let's see. All right. Oh, next week is a good one. Hey, yo. Yeah, next week's the Randy Savage, Macho Man, oh, Mars yeah. and Life, Bio and Career discussion. That's going to be good. Oh, yeah. Bad. I can't wait for that, pal. I cannot wait. Ooh, we're going to be talking all things Macho Man. Oh, yeah. Dig it. That's going to be good. And that, that, next week as well, it's SummerSlam week next week. Well, as of when this episode drops, next week is SummerSlam week. So going to have a preview for you guys. SummerSlam actually looks quite good. Like the card's actually shaping up really well. A number of matches that could be show stealers. So, yeah, a lot of stuff coming up. And then we're going to do some, you know, some big content in August, which, Kevin, do you want me to reveal a couple of these, these August plans for the listeners? Who are yeah, here? sure. Go ahead. Let's do awesome. It. So... Obviously, we're reviewing SummerSlam, as we do. We've reviewed every pay-per-view this year, which is pretty cool. Go us. Awesome consistency from us. Woohoo! Uh, we're doing a SummerSlam Fallout Elite Take. Hopefully, some crazy, ridiculous questions to ask on the, on the heels of SummerSlam, Kevin. Can't wait for that. Then, we're doing a part two to what we did back in February. We're going to be grading Triple H as head of WWE Creative one year in. So, I look forward mm. to that. And then, Kevin, mm. we've got a show that you thought of yourself, which is a phenomenal idea. It's titled, this is the week of All In. All In, Cody Rhodes and the show that turned a dream into reality or something to that effect. It's going to be all about All In, all about like AW, the big event, Cody, the EVPs, Khan, the whole production going on AW. That's probably your best idea of the year. I think that's a brilliant, like, yeah, great stuff, Kevin. I'm going to back up my co-host, pal. And then after that, one more show, we've got, yeah, CM Punk, Roman Reigns, ending the debate. 
That's all in week. That's payback week. Plenty will be going on. We're going to do Punk Reigns, the definitive end of the debate, pal. So, yeah, plenty on the cards. Good stuff. Any more from you, Kevin? I've said a lot in the last five minutes. That's it. All right, with that being said, you got a lot to look forward to, and we'll talk to you guys on the next episode of Lee Heat. Peace.